You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, and I'll be your host today. And today on the podcast, we have the honor of having Darren Dolan, who is the Vice President of Marketing and Sales of Active Ortho, which is a startup orthopedic company in the extremity space. And very excited to talk to Darren today. So without further ado, Darren, how are you today? I'm very well, Eric. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, me as well. And I have known you, Darren, for a little while here, and it's, you've got some exciting things that are happening at Active Ortho and a really cool cutting-edge technology that you guys are developing. So if you would, if you could take us from, from what Active Ortho, how it started, and the kind of the genesis of it all. Sure. No, thank you. So the genesis of the company started with Dr. Andy Palmer, who's a foot and ankle and hand certified surgeon out of the Syracuse, New York. He's been fooling around with the idea of active compression and active compression technologies for about 30 years. Came upon a pretty good idea and got together with a couple of night null experts out of Minneapolis, and they put together Active Ortho that was spun out of another company called NPX Medical. The patents that they have now are all focused around active compression with fixation using night null as its core component. So... Our current implant that was cleared in July of or June of 2019 is a 4.0 cannulated active compression device, which very closely resembles, I'll say the S word, the screw of a cannulated screw. However, it's much, much different than what you would see in a normal cannulated screw. And what this is, is the shank of the device is actually has a laser cut helical pattern in it that allows the implant to expand as it's inserted. So as you turn the implant in, The head bottoms out on that near cortex and a couple more turns allows the implant to stretch up to two millimeters, applying active compression throughout the healing process. That is very interesting because obviously in so many different fracture patterns and non-unions and things of that and malunions and you go back in, you obviously want to have active compression at the fracture site and or the, the site. When that screw, so if you could talk a little bit about nitinol in itself, I know a lot of our listeners know about nitinol. Can you just tell mm-hmm. us exactly some of the, well, some of the properties of nitinol, why it has that ability to do that? Sure. So nitinol started, you know, in the military, actually. It started with the Naval Ordnance Laboratory and it was used for, developed for nose cones of missiles because they were deforming in flight and they wanted something with super elastic properties that allowed the nose cone to maintain its shape. So that's nitinol is half nickel, half titanium, and it has a super elastic capability to it. So once it's machined or put in place, you can deform it and it'll want to come back to its natural resting state. So it's got elasticity to it, and, you know, or bendability to it. I like to play with it a little bit, whereas something like titanium or stainless steel does not have. Those are static materials. This nitinol has got a super elasticity to it that allows it some significant benefits in orthopedics, especially, you know, it's been in use for the most part in orthopedics as a form of staples. It's also been used in other parts of the body and heart valves, other areas like that, stents, cardio, a lot of areas like that where nitinol has been used. But in orthopedics, mostly it's only been used in staples for the last 15 years or so. Interesting. And so what it allows, obviously, with the staple technology is it's 
stretched and they place it in a certain position and then it wants to go back to its natural mm-hmm. shape, creating compression. That's what I'm assuming. What we're asking, you know, surgeons to think about along the lines of the bioelasticity of bone and how best bone wants to heal. You know, we've talked about Wolf's Law a lot and Wolf's Law states, you know, in essence, bone under stress wants to create new bone. As soon as you use, let's say it's a standard cannulated screw device or even a plate fixation or nail fixation to fixate a couple pieces of bone together or more, right? As soon as you stop that manual compression of turning a screw in or an external compression device or even an X-fix and squeeze something together, that compression stops as soon as the surgeon takes his hand off the driver. And then the elasticity, the elastic properties of bone want to spring back and you lose some of that compression instantly right there. Not to mention any sort of bone remodeling that may take place in that area. You're losing compression as soon as that operation is over, as soon as you start to close the patient. What Nitinol affords us and what this implant affords us is to maintain that compression and actually increase it to help stress that bone, to kick off Wolf's Law and to maintain that bone integrity. We're relying on that bone-on-bone contact for strength and rigidity, in addition to the active compression of the implant, driving healing to those sites. Interesting. And so just looking at the shape and the understanding the nitinol principles of this, you, you talked about how the screw it or how the implant itself is manufactured. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Because obviously it's a different design than what we are used to in that kind of implant. It is, and it's very different. So it looks like a 4.0 cannulated screw today with a laser cut pattern in the middle, which allows some pliability to it. You can take it in your fingers and bend it, and it will flex in that section in the middle of the smooth shank of the cannulated implant. As it's manufactured, it's turned on a lathe just like anything else, and then it's laser cut to laser cut the helical pattern in the shaft. What that allows for is that stretch and locking component that you get with it. Think of like a slinky with teeth. As it's turned in, once the forces meet the maximum, so the head bottoms out on the near cortex and you keep turning those threads, the threads actually pull away from the head of the implant and the helical portion in the middle stretches. That slinky kind of stretches out. And then part of the helical cut pattern is that there are stops built into the slinky pattern and it stops and catches itself as it reaches its maximum extension. And the surgeon can feel that as they turn it in. They can feel that implant locking in place. Interesting. Where do you see most currently, where do you see most indications for the implant? The current implant, you know, is like I said, it's a 4.0 diameter. So it matches closely most other 4.0 implants you see on the market. So We're using them today by themselves or adjunctly with other hardware as a lapidus procedure, MTP procedures, midfoot procedures, Liz Frank, medial malleolus fractures, things like that, talus fractures, calcaneal fractures. We're using anywhere you'd use a 4.0 implant, you could use this as well. Interesting. So I know that I've heard some talus fractures, some other different indications that now obviously you're looking to the future and what other implants may look like for active ortho. Where do you see, in the ones you can talk about, where do you see this going for your technology? It's no secret we think that this is a platform technology and that we believe that we can build a full component, a full line of implants based on this technology from cannulated screws to 5.5, 6.5, 7.0, down to a 3.0 or maybe even smaller 
in addition to hybrid type fixation constructs. I think the sky's the limit. We can do nails out of this. There's a lot we can do with this pattern and, and these capabilities. You know, in a larger implant, we could see compression up to four, five, six millimeters. In a smaller implant, we're going to lose a little bit of that. But we do think that this application can be applied through a broad swath of implants. Yeah, and I'm as I start to think of my wheels turn and just think of the benefits of not only primary fixation, but revision fixation that's obviously is the curve is going straight up mm -hmm. of non-union slash and or fusions. I can only imagine with a larger implant, all the different favorable ind indications there are. Absolutely. We're super excited about it. I mean, it's not often you get to see something like this come by in your career. Oftentimes in my career, I've been in the medical device space since 2004. And you'll sit at a booth at a trade show and you'll look across the room and you'll be like, wow, that is a really, really cool thing. You know, it's an yeah. innovative product. It's amazing. That's going to do really well. And I feel like I'm sitting on that right now. I feel like what this technology is, what this implant can do, it's really going to change the shape of what can happen in this industry and what can happen in this space. We're really excited about it. And I cannot wait for this further development to happen. As a company, like we mentioned earlier, you know, we're a very early startup. You know, we started in 2019. We did a bunch of early cases. They've started to ramp up to do a Series B funding drive in February of 2020. And then we all know what happened there. The world kind of shut down, COVID hit. They basically mothballed the company. It was a real small, real lean machine they kind of had created. Started funding drive up the fall of 21, brought me on January of 22. And we've been working on through funding and creating the next phase of the company here now. So we're really excited to take this next step. We're really excited to be able to, to further develop and define what this is for the market and get this word out there. We have not been doing a lot of forward marketing to date because we're just working on getting a lot of the back house things put together and a lot of the funding created to support it. The last thing I want to do as a commercial leader is to really promote a product and then not be able to meet the demand. So we're holding back a little bit on the promotion marketing aspect of it to get our ducks in a row so we can really drive some market adoption going forward. Wow, that's great. And so in that light, I will do a disclaimer for Darren. This is a small startup. So once you hear this podcast, you know, if you do have interest in active ortho, you have to have patience in order to take advantage of this wonderful technology. Or I don't know, Darren may want you to take advantage of it tomorrow. I don't know. But I, anyway, I just want to make that disclaimer for you. <laughs> I am happy to take down some names. It was great. You know, we've been to the AOFAS recently and the ACFAS recently and sitting at the booth talking to surgeons coming by and I put it in their hand and they play with my little demos. And after a couple of seconds, they say, this is really cool. Can I use this? And I would say, I would love to give it to you tomorrow, but I can't. Let me take down your name and number. And as soon as we have inventory available, we'll get it out to you. I've got a pretty good list going of those individuals and those markets, and we really are excited to be able to get it out there. Well, so in that, where should somebody contact you? What's the best way to contact you in order to You get can on shoot me an email at yeah, ddollin at activeortho.com, D-D-A-H-L-I-N at activeortho.com. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody, whether you're a distributor looking for a new innovative product and or a physician looking for something new and innovative. This is going to be one of those products where you get it in your hands, it's going to make sense instantly, and then you're going to start to see the applications come. You know, when you ask me about what are we using it on right now, I get that from our surgeons because I give it to them. I let them play with it a little bit, and then they start coming up with ideas back to me that sometimes we didn't even think about. 
but they're really, you know, their brain immediately starts to run to this will replace this, or this can do this, or I can now do this with this, this that I couldn't do with something else in the past. One of the things that this implant has the capabilities to do is allow the physicians to rethink fixation, especially in the foot and ankle world. You know, long time foot and ankle fixation didn't really exist. You know, when I got into the orthopedic space, you know, back when you were young, right? Yep. Specialized foot and ankle orthopedic fixation wasn't really a thing. It was, let's use these hip screws here. Let's use these, you know, yeah. whatever. It was whatever they could put together, you know, K-wires and fixation and cast a patient for six, eight weeks. That kind of stuff was happening. The first plate I ever saw go in a foot was a cervical plate, hmm. you know, because yep. that's what they had. And even the first plates that were designed for the feet looked a lot like, you know, two level cervical plates. So a lot of that design change has, has been coming in. And as we've been custom designing more and more implants for the foot and ankle, they've all had one thing in common, which is they're all basically static metal implants. doesn't matter how contoured something is. It doesn't matter, you know, how small you make it, what jigs you use to align, what things you use to compress. They're all still static implants. And it started with, you know, like, let's take the lapidus procedure, for example. Yeah. Started with a four, like 3.0 or 4.0 cannulated screws and they or solid screws and they do a crossing screw construct. And then they cast that patient for about eight weeks or more. And hope that, and number one, the patient was compliant. And two, that the bone started to bridge and grow across that fusion site by the time that six to eight weeks was up because that patient was going to go nuts and they had to get them on their feet and start walking again. And they hoped that there was enough bone bridge there to maintain correction allow this patient to get back to their normal daily activities. Then they realized that stuff didn't work a lot. The screws were breaking. They were windshield wipering of the bone. You got a lot of non-unions out of it. The lapidus was a procedure nobody wanted to do because of that reason. Then they entered in a lot of these custom plates, right? Whether they had compression screws going through the plate or these big construct plates. Now we've got big jigs with multi-planar plates and all this action. But it's still the exact same fixation. If you think about it, it's just static fixation, holding the bones together. And the mm -hmm. reason the plates and bones got bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger, more static was because in order to generate Wolf's law with these patients, they had to get the patients up and moving quicker. Sure. Makes if you sense. didn't, yeah. you had to have fixation that would hold the reduction of your fusion site together, but it had to be big enough to allow the patient to weight bear on it. So it was a stress shielding fixation technique that allowed the patient to walk on this stuff sooner and sooner to stimulate bone growth. If you think about it, it's a little backwards. We're preventing the bones from their bone growth, but forcing the patient to generate Wolf's law on their own by getting up and walking and stressing these things manually. What a fixation like ours that does with active compression allows the bones internally, the Wolf's law to really generate bone growth internally with the implants and the implants aren't shielding the bone growth. They're helping to create it a different way to think about fixation in the space. And it's really the critical thing that once a surgeon sees it in action, they really start to buy into it, but it's a different, you know, when I tell somebody you can fix this with two four O implants, he's like, I use a compression screw, a four O compression screw and a big plate on top of it. And that's the only way it can work. Well, Let's think, go back and think about this again, because 
What these implants do is they rely on the bone-on-bone -bone contact to maintain reduction in strength, not metal to do that for them. And it's going to heal quicker and better because of the Wolf's Lodge generating, the constant active compression is generating bone growth on its own. And once you see that and see how that patient evolves and your treatment can evolve, it really can change how you treat these different pathologies. Yeah, and I'm going along with you as I'm following you. You're right. It's a paradigm shift in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. of way, you know, Because obviously when you use that large plate, you're essentially, <laughs> lack of a better term, protecting the initial fixation of the screws You because know, they don't have enough fixation and they'll break. So, yeah, very interesting. I hope our listeners can see that and kind of visualize that because that's very important. And along those lines, and so... I know you can only talk about a certain amount of things, but with this technology, I can imagine in the I am nail space and things like that, this is very exciting. Just that can, because obviously when in the I am nail space, you know, I can remember back in the day, we talk about when we first got into orthopedics, I mean, they would, you know, put a nail in and put their screws in and they'd go, okay, go outside and jump around. If the screws break, okay, that's okay, because this is the way it's going to heal. So, I can imagine with your technology, this is going to be a game changer for the IM nail space. We think it can be too. And you bring up a great point. And really what you just described is dynamization, right? Sure. You know, that was yep. the term that was given to external fixation, to nails, to anything else where you reduce the strength of a device by pulling out a screw or using a slotted hole in a nail versus a solid round hole to allow the fracture to compress around a nail or the trauma to compress around, you know, the device. So the body then generates its own healing by maintaining the correction. And the nail gives you that because it just slides along the nail. Sometimes you end up with a shortened, you know, limb if it's too much. But the idea of being able to actively dynamize something, especially in a fracture world where you don't necessarily want to compress it all the time, but you do want that micro motion to allow healing and you don't want to make something too rigid, but you do want to maintain correction. That's kind of what we're talking about in situations like that. And I think that is definitely within scope of this. You know, I'm definitely, we're super excited to see, you know, a TTC type nail, you know, that's something that this technology can be applied to as well, where you can dial it in. And the nice thing about this implant you know, it's not a situation where I pull a driver off and it kind of pulls a grenade pin and everything kind of wants to compress. The surgeon can feel this compression as they're implanting this. As they turn this in, they can feel the stretch and they can understand how much it's stretched out and kind of dial that in on a personal level based on their feel and their tactile feel, the x-ray view. And they can really get a feel for this. And what another thing that this implant does that it's because it is got flexibility built into the shaft is you get bone-on-bone -bone compliance. I know everybody has seen this if you've spent a lot of time in the foot and ankle space where you tighten down a screw real tight or an implant, you squeeze a joint together and then you see a gap on the other half. You know, you'll get closed down on one part, but not the other. What this implant will do, if you use like say two of them across a joint, is you'll close down one side and then it'll close down the other side and you'll actually get 100% bone-on-bone opposition in that joint space because the implants do allow a little bit of compliance and they will compressed down to the bone. It's a really, really unique situation when you see it in person and you see it work, the light bulbs just start to go off and it's really fascinating. 
Yeah, it is, and my light bulbs are going off. So, yeah, I can definitely see, and hopefully our listeners will do as that as well. So we've kind of alluded to the future and what that may look like and, you know, different things. So if you had your crystal ball in front of you and what you can share with us, what does the future look like for Active Ortho? I think the future is really bright. We're really excited about it. Like I said, I, you know, our goals, we haven't, you know, shied away from it, is to build out a portfolio of implants supply active compression across a variety of different treatment modalities, whether it be cannulated screws, some nails. I think the hybrid constructs, there's a lot out there for us that we can develop and it's going to happen. We're going to start to make it happen real soon. And you're going to start to see some stuff coming out in the next couple of years, 18 to 24 months, you're going to see some additional products come out and we're really excited about it. This is something that you know, I am super passionate about, our team is super passionate about it, and we can't wait to get it out of the market because it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of those aha moments like you've had and I've had since I've been here too. Well, that's great. Well, Darren, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on today and discussing Active Ortho and really cool cutting edge technology that you have, and we'll keep an eye out. And again, if people are interested, please contact Darren, ddollin at activeortho.com. And obviously on LinkedIn, you can probably, you'll find Darren there as well. And mm-hmm. again, Darren, really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. This has been terrific. Any questions or anything, please let me know. And I love your podcast. It's terrific. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Darren. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.